comments. Uh, I wasn't expecting the question. She asked it. And, but I think I gave her probably the best reply I could have in that moment. I looked right at her and I said, I'll stop teaching on the same things when you guys start doing it. And uh, it was just kind of like in that moment when I was kind of getting the message across to her that oftentimes we come to church, oftentimes we, we want to hear this impactful, powerful message from a pastor. And, and, and thinking to ourselves, like, just give me something new, something I haven't heard. Tell me something that's so enriched to my spirit that God's just going to change my life. But it's interesting, as we think that, we neglect everything that we already know is right to do. And so uh, this morning we're going to be looking at the book of Job. So like I said, if you have your Bibles there, we're going to uh, go through it. But I'm going to kind of give you like a fast-forward message through the book of Job all the way to the end. And we're going to read some of the chapters at the end. But uh, the last week uh, in our youth ministry uh, at Mount Life, uh, every August I do this uh, beginning series on vision in our program. Why we do what we do. Because I think it's important to understand as a church body and as a student ministry for the students to understand that they know why we do what we do. And so uh, last week we did this series. I do it every August. Just It's like one night thing. It's called Tough Questions with Biblical Answers. And in that night, the, one of the first things I tell our students is you are not going to like a lot of answers. You know, we live in a day and age in a, in a world and a generation where people generally don't like the answers that the Bible has to and I told the students before that night started, I was like, well, I'm gonna, I, I want you guys to understand that uh, I'm going to point you towards the Bible. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says on each of these things. And so that night, I talk questions with the answers. The students can come. They get to write down any question that they have on a 3 by 5 card. And I turn it into like this little bucket. Don't put the names on it. And, and we'll answer any question that they've ever had on any topic that the Bible talks about. And so I, I will point them. Uh, I'll just draw a 3 by 5 card out and read it. And then we'll uh, share what the Bible says on it. So I was very clear with them, like, understand that you're not going to like every answer I give you. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. Uh, if there's a verse on it specifically, I'll tell you what the Bible says in the context of all of Scripture. Or I'll just maybe tell you my opinion, but I'll let you know which one it is. But the main point I was telling them is, oftentimes we search for answers uh, to uh, questions that we have that oftentimes that we'll never be able to understand. And the book of Job kind of gives us that illustration. So uh, Job uh, was this man who um, uh, was said to be this great, powerful man in all the land of us. And so uh, Satan uh, comes to God, and he says, uh, looks at God, and God says, Satan, where did you come from? He came with the angels, and, and uh, Satan says, I, I've been roaming all the land and all the earth. And, and God says to Satan, have you seen Job? Now, this is what the story of Job is going to be about this morning. It's going to be about uh, trial and perseverance. You can look up the screen. It's just a life tested. Life untested is not worth living. And we're going to explain why about that this morning. Oftentimes, we have this picture of living in America today, in the American church today, that everything is supposed to be the ideal. And Job gives us this thought that everything is not the ideal. That we live in a world, I don't, I don't know if you've noticed, but we live in a world, and it's, it's hard to understand sometimes because we live in, in a mountain range where it's just amazingly beautiful. But we also live in a world that is broken. We live in a world that has many, many issues. And so Job kind of shows us this, this idea of what brokenness truly looks like with a, with a heart of man that says, you know what, I want to follow God and God only. You know, when I was younger, uh, talking about going through trials, when I was younger, uh, I was in uh, high school. I grew up in a, a Christian family. My dad was a pastor. I was the youngest out of six. And uh, when I was in high school, my senior year, uh, I went through, it's like a 
bad injuries. If you watch TV, watch ESPN on APC, like sometimes they'll show you those injuries that you're like, man, I can't watch that again. That was my injury. Uh, it was game week in Chicago. I got tackled. My entire left knee went out. And usually when you just blow out your ACL, like your knee pops out, pops right back in, but you turn your ACL. Mine didn't pop back in. And so when the other players attacked me, got off me, my knee was sitting like to the side. It didn't, pure, it didn't break through the skin, thankfully, but it was sitting to the side. So I literally took my leg and banged it against the ground three times to get it to pop back in. And because of that, you guys are like, man, I came to church for disgusting stories. <laughs> but because of that, I tore my ACL, PCL, MCL, Carlos, I did everything. And to this day, I've got two pins in my knee. And so that was roughly, that was the last game of the year, so that was like end of October. And then uh, three months later, uh, my dad had been going through some heart issues and stuff like that. Three months later, my father passed away. And within a, within a short time period, because of blowing out my knee, uh, I played basketball as well too. I'm from Chicago. Um, I, I blew out my knee. I lost pretty much every major scholarship I had for football and basketball college. And, uh, and then my dad passed. When I went through this trial, this period of time, you can imagine I was 18 years old, I was in high school, and my dad passed away when I was uh, January of my uh, high, uh, senior year. And you can imagine, like, during this time, like, for a student that's in, a teenager that's in high school going through this period, like, I went through probably about two years from 18 to 20 where, to be very blunt with you, I was just ticked off at God. I was mad. Like, and, and people knew it. Like, I was, I had this anger inside me that just, I, I didn't want to deal with the loss of my father. I didn't know how to. Um, everything, everything that I ever wanted to be, everything I ever wanted to do, sports-wise, lost that completely. And so I went through this time period where I was just angry. And uh, and, and Job kind of goes through something uh, similar. I would say, obviously, more tragic. Job goes through these tests. And the first half of the book of Job, he's going through these tests of what God is uh, letting happen to him. And oftentimes we have this question, and this is hopefully going to be the question that we can look at this morning, is why does God let bad things happen? That's, that, that was one of the common themes of the questions I had last week with our students. Why does God let bad things happen? If he's a great and mighty God, then why would he let bad things happen to me? Why would he let bad things happen to my family? Why would he let bad things happen in Scripture? Why do these things happen? So Job kind of uh, gives us this illustration. And so if you look at Job 1.1, uh, we'll just start off there. And it says this, it, it's, it's very simple, it just starts off. It says, the man who is blameless and upright, and feared God and shunned evil. So this is the thought of Job, who he was. He was blameless, he was upright, he shunned evil. He, uh, it said he lived in the land of us, he had seven sons, three daughters. He had all his livestock, he had everything that he could ever want in life. Now, he had this, and oftentimes we think, in, 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 especially in America today, let's be honest, in, in Christian America today, we associate, if I am more righteous, God will bless me more. Now, sometimes that is true in Scripture, but that is not always true. We, we have to get out of this fallacy that my works are based on what God will do for me. Because that is why Jesus came. It is not based on our works of whether things are good or whether things are bad that happen for me. It's based on God's grace in our life, period. That's it. And so Job begins to learn this on the sands. He says, Scripture said he had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 oxen, and many servants. And it says he was the greatest among the people of his entire land. So this is the man that we're looking at this morning. And so Satan comes into the conversation this morning. And Satan comes to God, he comes with the angels, he's been roaming the earth, God asks him where he's been, and God says, have you considered 
my servant Job. There's no one like him. He is blameless, upright, and a man who fears God and shuns evil. See, God is proud. He looks at Job with uh, with a pride saying, this man is, it was almost like what he's saying when, he, when the scripture talks about King David. He's a man after my own heart. Look at him. And it's interesting, in, in this moment, it's almost like God knows what Satan's looking for. You see, in this conversation, uh, Satan doesn't necessarily tell God like what he's trying to do. God just knows. See, even within Satan, God knows Satan's heart. God created him. God knows what he's looking for. And it's interesting, it wasn't Satan who brought up Job. It was God. It says, have you seen this man that follows me with all his heart? He's given everything. And so Satan says, well, Job only follows you because you give him everything. And so God says, okay, you can do whatever you want to him. And so the first test of Job begins that Satan is able to uh, attack everything that he has, but he cannot attack Job himself. And so this first messenger comes in and he says, Job, Job, you've lost your oxen, you've lost your donkeys, and, and most of your servants and, and where they were. And, and while he's still talking, this happens three more consecutive times. The second messenger, while he's still talking, comes in and says, you've lost your sheep. You've lost your servants from a fire that came from the sky. Now, I don't know if that was a bolt of lightning or one of my things, but he says, from fire that comes from the sky. And then the third messenger, while he's still talking, says, you've lost your camels. You've lost your servants to the, the Chaldeans. So there's two different raiding groups that have come in specifically on Job, have robbed him from everything that he has. And then the fourth messenger comes in, and he says, you've lost your sons and your daughters. To a mighty wind. See, his sons and daughters would have these great big uh, feasts. And so the mighty ones came in and knocked the house down and killed all your sons and daughters. Now talk about a man uh, like, in my story, like, oftentimes as a pastor when I'm reading scripture, I kind of think, who, what, why, when, where, and I try to put myself in their shoes. And, you know, in the midst of this, I'm thinking, man, you know, the, 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 the story I shared about myself with uh, blowing my knee out, losing my father, and, and everything that I thought I would have, it's interesting, like, that happened over three months. This happened within a matter of, like, two minutes. Job found all of this out within a matter of about two minutes. And this is what Job says. It's in Job 1, 20 through 22, and we're going to continue going through the scripture here. It says, at this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Now let me just say this one really quickly. I, I went through a period of two years being ticked off at God. Job had all this happen. Literally, the messenger came one after another, right? So we can only guess two, five minutes, ten minutes, doesn't matter. Right then, there, and then. And Job, in all of this, did not blame God and did not sin. Now, this morning, I want us to discover, like, how can we have a heart like Job? To, no matter what. 
pray that you would just come and speak to us this morning, God, about this, this story of this man that lived, God, named Job, and, and the, the righteousness he displayed only because of who you are. And God, that we would answer this question of why. Why do bad things happen? Or why, why do you let trials come in our life? And why is it that when trials come in our life, we find ourselves at, at, at the end of these trials uh, hopefully becoming uh, stronger that hopefully stronger people in you and how you use that uh, to refine us, to rip away all this waste that's part of us that we don't need. Lord, I just thank you for Job and his life and the story that you share with us in your name. Amen. So Job had three different tests. The second test is this, is um, he had uh, these afflictions. So Satan goes back to God. He says, he looks at God and God says, where did you come? It's almost like the same little context of their first conversation. Saying, uh, God says, where have you been? Satan says, I've been roaming the earth. Uh, and, and he says, have you looked at my, my man Job? Because you've done all this and he hasn't turned away from me. And then Satan looks at God and says, you know what? He hasn't turned away from you because you haven't allowed me to do anything to him. See, Satan is very conniving in our life. Guys, if you don't understand that, if you don't get that, Satan wants to destroy you in every single way possible. And so he looks at God and he says, the only reason that he still hasn't cursed your name, the only reason he hasn't turned from you, is because you have not let me touch him. It's amazing, oftentimes we live in this world, uh, we're, we're just talking in our church a few weeks ago just about social justice. And oftentimes we can get wrapped up in ourselves and what we're going through, and we miss what's happening to everybody else. And so we think to ourselves, as long as nothing's happened to me, I'm okay, I'm just going to live my life the way it is. And, and scripture doesn't present, as Christians, that's not how we're supposed when, we, when you see something happening in the world that's wrong, you're supposed to act. You're supposed to do good. You're supposed to act and walk like Christ walked. And that's what he did. He did good for the people that he came across and everything that he saw. And so oftentimes we have this thought of, if it didn't happen to me or my family, I'm good, I'm all right, I'm good. And so Satan kind of possesses us. And God is, it didn't happen to him. And if it didn't happen to him then of course he's going to keep worshiping you. If you let me do things to him, he's going to stop worshiping you. And so God says, okay, you can do whatever you like to him, but you cannot kill him. And so Satan says, okay, let's let God watch. This, this man is not going to follow you any longer. And so Job gets taken one step further. He lost all his, all, all his children, all his livestock, all his riches. He is a broken poor man. And the next thing comes in and says there's this pain to Job. And all throughout the next portion of Scripture, uh, you can look in 7, 5, 7, 14, 30, 28, and 30. Those are uh, chapters and verses 2, 12, 19, 17, 17, 7, 19, 20, 30, 30, 30, 17. This is eight things that happen to Job. Eight things. Verse 1, it talks about festering sores all over his body. You can find that in uh, chapter 7, verse 5. He has nightmares, chapter 7, verse 14. Then he has these scabs that peel and become black. Chapter 30, verse 28 30. Then disfigurement and revolting appearance. It said he was so disfigured, he had this revolting appearance to anybody that even came around him. Actually, it even says, and we'll see this later on, it says his friends barely even recognize him. You almost get this thought, this imagery of what Jesus went through on the cross. Because it says that Jesus didn't even look like a man after they were coming. And then it, says, then it says he had bad breath. You ever wake up in the morning and have some bad breath? Roll over and about to kiss your husband or wife. And you're like, let's brush your teeth first. That's verse 
uh, chapter 19, verse 17. Then he says, excessive thinness. He lost all this weight. That's chapter 17, verse 7, and 19, 20. And then he had a fever, verse, uh, chapter 30, verse 30. And then, then it just says he had pain day and night. It never went away. And I can only imagine this is some physical pain, but obviously emotional pain, too. He just lost 10 children. Just lost everything that he had. And that's for, uh, chapter 30, verse 17. So he goes and walks us through eight different things that he was afflicted with after losing everything that he had. And he still doesn't understand, God, why are you doing this? He hasn't even presented that question yet. He does later, but he hasn't presented that question yet. And this is the way he responds. Job 2, 9 through 10. That's where we're going to read next. Job 2, 9 through 10 says this. He says, his wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Now get this, he lost his children, lost his livestock. He is completely poor now. He's lost everything. Back then, it wasn't about how much cash you had in the bank. It was about how much livestock, livestock you had in the field. That was where your wealth was shown. Lost it all. Children, everything. Now he's got this physical pain where he's just in pain day and night. He's disfigured. No one wants to be around him. And this is what his wife says to him. Curse God and die. And then he replies, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Now here's the issue, the issue up to this point. Uh, his wife, like most of us, like I did for two years, his wife looked at the issues and decided to blame God. His wife looked at the issues, and, and, and think of what the wife's going through, too. The story, obviously, is revolving around Job, but his wife, she, lost, she just lost ten children, too. And she sees everything that's happening to Job. And she looks, as, as most of us would, as I did, we look at our, at our circumstances, and once it turns bad, we say, God, you're blame. And it's interesting, we live in a world today where people look at you and I, and they see the deficiencies that you and I have, the sinfulness that you and I have, and they make, they make this uh, image of who they believe God to be based on you and I and our faults, and that's wrong. See, just because I stumble, just because I sin, that's not who God is. And so Job gives this reply, and he says to her, you're talking foolish, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And says, in all this, God did not sin with what it did. See, his wife, she saw God as the problem. See, in, in our troubles, often today, this is kind of one beginning point that we're looking at is we see God as the problem when problems arise in our life. And so we imagine that if something goes bad in my life, then God must automatically be the problem because if he's a good God, then why would anything go bad? And so we start revolving our problems around ourselves instead of who God is. And that's our first issue, and that's the issue Job has to conquer. So there's this third test. Job's friends come, and they charge him. So imagine that you've lost everything that you have, everything that you are, everything that you thought you were. It says in the beginning of Job, it says he was the greatest, most powerful man. And so he's losing all of this. Then he has pain night and day. He's disfigured. His wife tells him to curse God and die because she says this is God's fault. He obviously doesn't love you anymore. That's why God's love does not change for you. But her thought is, it's all based on your merit of what you do. So obviously God doesn't love you anymore because he's letting this happen. So curse God and die. See, her theology, don't be, hopefully don't get scared by that word. Theology is just 
study of God. Her theology is based on, and we see this as Christians nowadays, in New Testament scripture that says that we, nothing that we can do can earn us righteousness before God. It's everything that Christ did. See, if there's something that I could do, then what was the point of Christ coming? See, her theology of God in the Old Testament was all based on your works. Job, you didn't do good enough. Something happened. You might as well curse God and die because he's doing this to you, and so he doesn't love you anymore. Scripture shows us very clearly that God is love. That's actually literally a chapter in the New Testament. And what that means is this. God cannot love you less, and God cannot love you more. And that's hard to understand because we are humans, and we are full of issues. And oftentimes, our love comes and goes for people. Scripture looks at us and, and tells us as humans that God's love literally cannot increase in your life, and it cannot decrease because God is love. His love does not decrease based on it's hard for us to examine that. And Paul even writes about this, and I'll hit that on this in a little moment uh, here, and then we'll get to it in, in a moment even deeper. Paul writes on this, just because I'm a Christian, does that mean I can do whatever I want? He says, no. See, God's love for you can't increase, and it can't decrease, because it is the maximum love. It's like 100% all the time. But God still wants us to walk in this word, and I'm going to give you another word, it's called sanctification. He still wants you to grow in Him and walk with Him. He doesn't want to leave you where you're so it's not me saying, well, because I'm a Christian, I can do whatever I want. Paul says, no, you can't just do whatever you want. We're going to become more like him. And the story of Job here, Job knew that already before most people. Uh, Job, uh, most scholars believe Job was the first book ever written from the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy were written by Moses during the beginning of the book. But the oldest book in the Bible was Job. And it gives us this story, and actually it's interesting, most scholars believe Job gives us this story of almost like a, a prequel of what Christ was going to go through for you and I. See, Job goes through all this pain and suffering, all this anguish, and gives us this thought in the Old Testament of that we are part of God's plan, his desire, his love can't increase, it can't decrease. And it, it shows us this little inkling of what Christ is going to go through. Christ went through all this pain and suffering. It, scripture says he was a perfect human being. He was perfect in all that he did, but he suffered for you and I. See, Christ understood, and what Job understood, what we need to understand this morning, is they went through all this pain and anguish to show God's glory. It wasn't about them. It was about giving God glory. And see, in the midst of trials and struggles, that's what we have a hard time understanding, because we think every story revolves around around God. Christ went through the suffering on the cross, but it was for uh, it was for because of what God had called him to do. And so Job has three friends that are coming, and these three friends come to comfort Job. Now let me just tell you, if you've got three friends that come to comfort you like these three friends, uh, get rid of your friends. Alright? So these three friends come to comfort Job. It says in Job 2, 11 through 13 that their whole intention was to come to comfort them. But they had the same misunderstanding that his wife did. They had the same understanding that you are getting cursed because of something that you did. So everything that you have, whether it's good or bad, based on your works, is not based on the grace of God. And so they had the same wrong theology that the wife did. So his first friend, Eliphaz, comes and says, speaks on the innocent prospering. And he gives this analogy. He says, but guess what, Job? You haven't prospered. 
And because you haven't prospered, you've done something wrong. So he's, again, he's equating back to God's blessing based on what you've done instead of God's grace. And we're going to look at that even deeper in a second. But he says, no life encountering such suffering can be innocent, according to Eliphaz. And so he looks at Job and says, you have sinned in some kind of way that God has taken away his blessing from you. And Job looks right at him and he gives this reply. He says, I'm innocent. No, I haven't. And then his second friend comes in, in Job 8, 5 through 6, he says, Bildad, these names are always fun to, to pronounce, Bildad accuses Job of doing wrong, and that if he repents, all the material that he lost will be given back. Again, he's basing everything on Job's actions instead of God's grace. They don't understand correct theology of who God is. They have this narrow mindset of, if I do good enough, God will bless me. And so Bildad, the same thing, Bildad's implications to Job are that being pure and upright is directly linked to one's prosperity. FYI, it's biblically untrue. It just is. And then the third friend, Zophar, says this. He ends up telling Job he deserves even worse than what he got. Like, can you imagine, like, after going through everything Job's gone through so far, that you had three friends, like, come? They're going to come to comfort you. Now, if, like literally in the first week that they were with Job, they didn't even say a word to him. They sat with him. They saw his anguish. They saw everything that he was going through. They, scripture says they literally sat with him for a week and didn't say a word. Now, they started off good. They started off with their mouths shut. But then once they opened up their mouths is where they went back. And they started accusing Job of all this. And, and Job finally gives this response to his friends. It's in Job 16, 1-5. And this is what he responds to his friends. He says, Then Job replied, I've heard many things like these. And I love this next line. He goes, You are miserable comforts. All of you. Long, with your long-winded speeches, never end. What ails you that you keep on arguing? I could speak like you if you were in my place. I could make fine speeches against you and shake my head at you, but my mouth would encourage you. Comfort from my lips would bring you relief. See, Bill and his friend's speeches were an example of how people often view suffering from a human perspective and assume that suffering is always a result of doing something wrong. And in the end, Bill and his friends discovered that God had allowed Job to suffer as part of his divine plan, that Job was not to blame for his trials. So it's interesting, we'll, we'll get through here a little bit more, because there's one more friend that comes in the story here, Elihu. And it's interesting that we, it's almost like what I was telling our students last week, you, you, you can ask the question, but you may not like the answer. See, oftentimes we ask the question of God, why? And we expect a very direct answer, we expect an answer to our question. And we're going to see later here in Job that God answered Answers Job, but not with the answer that he's expecting. He goes far beyond Job's understanding. And we'll look at that in a second. But the last friend, Elihu, comes and offers a response to Job that lifts up the Lord, condemns Job's other three friends, and rightly confronts Job. See, Elihu was very angry at Job for justifying himself rather than God. In this moment that Job, in this, see, Job wasn't without sin, actually sinned since Adam and Eve. But Job hadn't done anything that had drawn God's ire towards this. But Elihu comes to Job and says, you're drawing everything back to you instead of God. And then Elihu declares Job wrong when he says 
He declares God's justice, Job 34, that the Almighty would pervert justice. And then Elu highlights God's greatness and declares his attributes in Job 36 and 57. And then he condemns his three friends of saying, your theology of thinking that God will bless or take away based on your works is wrong. And he comes in this moment. And, and so we're going to pick up there, and this is where we're actually going to begin reading more of the scripture. So if you want to turn to Job 38, 1. In Job 38, 1, we're going to read 1 through 18, and then we're going to jump to 42, 1 to see Job's response. And this is what the Lord says to Job in all this story and everything that's happened to Job of what he's dealing with and why he's dealing with. Because up until this point, they have a mindset. Essentially, Job and his friends have been trying to answer a question they, they can never solve. You know, oftentimes, guys, in, in this life, when we deal through trial, when we deal through sufferings, we're going to ask questions of God that we, that we can never know the answer. And that's hard to understand. Uh, it's, it's called walking by faith in, 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 parts of, in parts of our life in this Christian walk. Why, why God took away my father when I was 18? I'll never understand that. Often think, we think that we deserve to know the answer. Guess what? You don't. The answer that we need to know is the answer that we're about to get from God. So it says in Job 38, one, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of, out of the storm. And he said this to Job. Now, Job's looking for an answer. God, why? Why did you do this? And God gives him an answer, but it's not the answer he's looking for. But he gives him a very clear message. He says, Who is this that obscures my plans with word without knowledge? It's amazing. We ask God, word without knowledge. Brace yourself like a man, and I will question you. You shall answer me. Now, if, if I was before God, now one of the things we have to understand, Old Testament speaking wise, like in Old Testament, God literally spoke, spoke audibly. Today we have the Holy Spirit to guide us in, that, in everything that we do. Old Testament, God literally spoke audibly. So Job is hearing God's voice like you hear mine right now. And it says God spoke out of a cloud and out of a storm. And so he, he's speaking to Job. And all I know is I'm asking this question of why God. And God comes in this cloud, his voice comes out of this cloud and says, you're going to answer me. I don't know about you and I, or about you, but all I know is I would be freaking out right now. If I had this question of God, why? And God comes back to me and says, no, 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 you're going to answer me. See, guys, and listen, I want to see this picture. Think about God and all that he is, because he read it here in a second. All he is and all that he does. God does not owe you an answer. See, we think that he does because we put God in this box and we think God answers to me. No, he doesn't. He does not answer to you. God shares what he shares and he shares this with Job. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the eagles shouted for joy, who shut up the sea behind the doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment, wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no farther, here's where you probably hold. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by the edges and take the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. 
Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light, and the upright uh, arm is broken. And their upright arm is broken. Uh, have you journeyed to the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all of this. Now, this is the answer God gives Job. And, it, and literally, it's almost like, if you have a little kid, it's almost like you're looking at your little kid and you're like, it's time for your spanking. Because this is like Job's spanking. This is Job saying to God, why? And Job looks back on him and says, you have, you can't understand most things that happen on earth. How are you going to expect to understand all the heavenly things that I do? It's interesting. We have that concept that we, we think we can understand more than we, we can, but we can't. You see, God does not answer Job's uh, question directly here. Is it, why is this happening? But God is telling Job that he can fathom, that he cannot fathom and understand when he sees even a glimmer of God's righteousness. And he shows that through asking Job questions uh, of who made the world stars and all that has been seen, then how do you expect to understand all that is unseen when you can't answer, when you can't understand all that is seen? So God gives him this perspective. And then let's look at Job 42, 1 through 6. And this is Job's reply. And we're going to get three things that we learned from this. We're going to be done this morning. He says, Job replies to God, and this is what he says back to him. With this understanding of what God says to him, he says, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely, and I love this response because Job is being put in check here by God. He says, surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. And then Job says, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. See, Job began under asking this question of why, and he ended with understanding that this life is but a blink. I am but dust and ashes, and the only reason I'm here is because of the grace of God. It's not because of how much I do that is good. It's not because of anything else that I'm given. It's because God gives and he takes away, and due to his plan, not yours, you don't fit, God doesn't fit in your plan, you fit in his. Joe begins to get this perspective. And his three friends, I can only imagine, are probably sitting there and listening. They are, because later in that chapter, God just rips into them, too. And he says, you don't have eternal perspective. That's one of the things I had to gain when I lost my father when I was in high school, is this eternal perspective. Two years later, when I was 20 years old, uh, I began to have more of a perspective of who God was, what he did, and why. And I began to say, God, you know what? I, I will never completely understand it question of why you did what you did. But I am going to trust you by faith that your plan is bigger than mine, and that I'm part of your plan. And even my father is part of your plan. So I want to give you uh, just three things here. The first one is the suffering of the righteous. Uh, righteous is not a punishment of their sins, but a refinement of their righteousness. You can look at it, I think, it's on the next screen. There it is. And then Romans 5, 3 through 4 says this, and it gives us some perspective all throughout the scripture. It says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. This is Paul writing this. Uh, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character hope. It's this refinement. So sometimes we, we're so entrenched of the answer of why that we miss the growing part in our faith. The refinement that God takes you to, to your character and to your faith and making it stronger. 
James 1.12 says this, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised those who love him. It's these trials that we go through that continue to refine you and I, no matter what you walk through. Job 2.10, as we wrap back to Job, says, Are we only to accept what is good from God and not trouble? And then he says in 40, uh, 4 to 5, we didn't read this part, he says, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? Guys, if we entered life, if you walked through life every single day and said, God, I am unworthy of this life, but you have graced me with it, you have given this blessing to me, it would change your perspective on how you live every day. See, we go through this life saying, I deserve this life. No, we don't. And it would change your perspective of saying, God, I am blessed with this life because you have blessed me with it. No matter what happens, no matter what circumstance comes, it is a blessing from you because I get to be a part of it. And if you take me from this earth someday, Father, I'm going to live by faith because even if you take me, what am I going to be in heaven? Are you going to be in heaven and complain, God, God, I wish I was back down here now that I'm in heaven? No, you're not going to. See, if we live every day of saying, God, it is a blessing from you to be in this life, it would change your perspective on everything that happens life to you. Job goes on and says, I put my hand over, over my mouth. I spoke once, but I had no answer twice, but I would say no more. And Job went very quickly the issue. In John 9, 1, 2, 3, it says, as he went along, and he, uh, Jesus gives this, uh, this, this parable, this analogy, says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus gives him a new because in the day and age that they lived in, it was all about who sinned. It was all about your works. Who did wrong that God did this? And Jesus put this different perspective that we're talking about this morning. Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. See, God, even when we walk through the fire, even when we go through things that happen, if our perspective is, I'm blessed with this life, you've given me this life, even if you take it away, I'm still blessed because I'm living with you eternally. It takes away that everything that happens in this life is, is about me, and it starts putting it in everything in this life is about God and his perspective. It begins to change our perspective on how we see trials that come into our life. Second thing is God is sovereign over all things. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. No scripture talks about this all the time. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be sure and complete, not lacking anything. Psalm 66, 10 through 12 says this, For you, God, tested us. All throughout Scripture, people get tested. They get to see different, different things that happen in their life because God lets it happen in their life. It's not because of something necessarily they did or did not do. It's because of God's divine Attributes. It's because of who he is. It's because of his story that we fit into. And it says, for you, we find us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. We went through fire and water. But it says, but you brought us to a place of abundance. See, in this life, whether you get abundance or not, it's by God's grace. Whether you... Uh, get no abundance in this life, and it's all about the next life, we are all going to spend eternity with God. And when we start to understand that, it gives us a perspective about pain and suffering. And then three, I, I wanted to throw this in because I think this is a, a, a 
reality perspective. Learn to pick your friends wisely. Job goes through this and, and, and gives us kind of this outlook. Job had four friends that came to him. Three of them were just gave terrible advice. And one of them gave godly advice. Guys, in, in the day and age that we live in, when you go through trial, learn to pick your friends wisely and who you listen to. Scripture says that in the end, in the end times, which you and I are living in the end times, when Jesus died, rose again, he stayed here, he, he showed himself to five hundred people, and then he rose back to heaven. We've been living in the end times for the last 2,000 years. 2,000 years ago, it's like that. It's like blinking out. And scripture says in the end times, there are going to be people, and there are going to be a lot of organizations, whatever they might be, governments, people, whatever, that are going to come and try to deceive and turn you away from God. Pick your friends wisely. It is so important. Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Do you have people that will rejoice with you? That will mourn with you. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vacancy, but humility consider others better than yourselves. 1 Corinthians 12.26 says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Remember this perspective when you are given uh, trials that go through your, through your life. You have people that will walk through those trials with you. It's your perspective of saying, God, I'm blessed to even have this life. And when trials come, it is part of your divine plan, no matter what. And God, I may not even understand it, but you are the creator of everything. See, when we're able to do that, we're only able to do that when Jesus fills our life. When we can have that kind of perspective. See, if I try to have that kind of perspective on my own, I'm going to fall short. See, that kind of perspective comes through a relationship with Christ, saying, God, I'm able to do that because of what your son did, and only because of what your son did. Give me a new perspective. Lord, we just thank you, Father, for this morning. God, we thank you for this time. Uh, Lord, we just uh, pray, uh, God, I know as we 